Hi, I'm Alicia Lockhart. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, a podcast that shines a light in some very dark places. And today, we'll shine that light on the disgusting world of necrophilia. I'm not really sure there is a darker place than the topic of necrophilia is so, so dark. Disgusting and disturbing, but it's important for us to cover this topic for our listeners. Yeah, because we do get asked a lot of questions, and one of those questions about death fetish is centered on necrophilia. There's been a few people who actually don't really know much about it or what it is. We figured we'd go back to square one for our listeners, so get ready, because the definition is disturbing. Necrophilia is defined as sexual intercourse with or an attraction to corpses. And this is quite a prevalent theme in the death fetish communities. And I think it's important to note that some people in the death fetish communities who have a fetish for death are not necrophiliacs. So that's a little confusing. They want to watch a woman tortured, abused, raped, and killed, but then they find necrophilia distasteful. So that's another mini question there. Yes, you can have a death fetish without being into necrophilia, but it's pretty common that people are into necrophilia if they have a death fetish. Yeah, I would say a good 80%, 85% of the fetishers that we've encountered are also necrophiliacs. Mm -hmm. They want to see the whole thing. They want to yeah. see a man controlling a lifeless body. Yeah, it's absolutely gruesome. So we're going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here. So the first use of the word necrophilia is actually traced back to a Belgian psychologist. And he coined this term during a lecture in 1850. And during this lecture, he referenced a French necrophile named Francois Bertrand. And Bertrand had been convicted of exhuming and mutilating multiple corpses. I mean, it's so gross. I just, I don't understand. I like how the psychologist was like, we need a word for this. We're going to label this something. This is quite something. Yeah. My entire life, just kind of growing up and going through college and all the things and learning about necrophilia or hearing about it, you know, just a little bit here and there, it always creeped me out. But I think it's so much more disturbing to me now when I really understand what goes through the mind of a necrophiliac. <laughs> you know, when I actually understand what's going on inside these forums and what all it entails, it's just the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, it is very disturbing. And I think you and I have this unique position on it because we have seen things we can't unsee. And it's really hard to wrap our brains around the fact that there are people who are looking for this content, desiring to see these things happening when it's so gruesome and hard for us to stomach looking at. And uh, like you were saying, you hear the word, you understand the concept, but when you actually see it, it's a whole nother thing. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. You can't unsee it. It's something that you know, I'll carry with me for the rest of my life and just be horrified by and work until my last breath to try to put a stop to these communities that are online that are glorifying this, the murder of young women and basically necrophilia. So 
it's definitely made me more activist focused on I've got to put a stop to this. See, that's the only good thing that came out of seeing those things is that it lit this passion in both of us to do something about it. So that term necrophilia, it is in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders or the DSM. And that is an authoritative text that psychiatrists use when they're diagnosing people. So necrophilia is in the DSM now, and it's considered a serious mental illness, criminal offense. I believe it's listed as a paraphilia as well. Anil Agrawal, who is a professor of forensic medicine at the Milana Azad Medical College in New Delhi, describes necrophilia as one of the most weird, bizarre, and revolting practices of abnormal and perverse sensuality. So I'm glad we're not alone in our feelings on the topic. Well, I have to say this, and I know it's going to seem so petty, but I want to say, tweet that, Raphael. Here you have, and for those of you who don't know, we have a a fetisher that continues to tweet about all the things that we talk about on this podcast. But what I want him to see and other fetishers to see is that this is an expert, an expert that is describing necrophilia as something that's weird, bizarre, revolting, and perverse. Abnormal. It's abnormal. So tweet that, bud. No, I'm kidding. All seriousness. In 1989, there was another study performed by Jonathan Rossman and Philip Resnick, and they classified necrophilia into two groups. And I think this is so interesting, genuine necrophilia and pseudo-necrophilia. And they detailed out a wide spectrum of necrophiliac tendencies. And they made this conclusion from dozens of case studies from around the world. And according to this study, their spectrum of necrophilia ranged from class one, which includes role players, romantic necrophiles, and necrophilic fantasizers whose sexual deviance usually doesn't involve any criminal acts we generally associate with necrophilia. So basically what class one involves is that group of people who are sexually aroused by their living partner just going ahead and pretending to be dead, or people who are engaging in sexual role plays involving anything from resurrecting a partner through sex or people who pretend to be vampires in the bedroom. So definitely some weird stuff going on, but they do acknowledge that there is a class of people who have these fantasies and are not necessarily tying them with criminal acts. I would assume that most of the fetishers are going to say, oh yeah, that's me. I'm just a romantic necrophile. I'm just a necrophiliac fantasizer. I'd like to see him say, hello, I am class one necrophiliac. I say that jokingly because I do know that there are many in the forums that would be categorized as class one. We've seen that. We understand that. But, you know, it's also important to understand that the classes get more complicated. For instance, class two includes romantic necrophiles who are unable to accept the fact that they have lost a loved one. So an example would be like a widow, and this really happened, who was discovered to be sleeping next to her decomposing husband a year after he passed away. So, you know, that class two is really a group of people who they can't let go. They really don't find anything wrong with kind of embracing and still loving and having some sort of relationship 
with someone that is dead. So a little bit confusing, but also something that we see that's very common within the death fetish forums of people. I think there's a couple of movies, actually, that we've kind of scrolled through, Alicia, where the producer has kind of glorified a situation where a woman has died and the guy stays with her for a little bit because he doesn't want to let her go. And he's just so enthralled by her beauty, especially because she's dead. And so that would be considered like a class two necrophile. Okay, so that's like they keep them. That's a maybe a component of class two that's important. They keep them and they love on them. Ugh, when you lose a loved one, some weird things can happen in your head. So you'd say class two is not violent. Class three, though is a little bit more disturbing. So class three is when people are receiving sexual gratification from fantasizing about the dead. And this could include anything from visiting cemeteries to getting erotic sensations after seeing an image of a dead body, like on a death fetish site. Yeah. But it only gets worse from there. You go into class four, which includes those who mutilate dead bodies and masturbate. All the way to class six, who are so desperate and determined to have sex with a dead body that they'll even kill somebody to achieve that. So going from class four to class five to class six, it's hard not to wonder if that's a slippery slope for people. Well, I was just getting ready to say that very thing. I think it's just a slippery slope. It's just that. And, you know, according to every study I've read, and I've done a lot of research on necrophilia. It's really common for necrophiles to advance along the spectrum over time. It's not always super quick. It can be, but it can be super slow. It could take years. But there is some proof that they do advance along the spectrum over time, just like you might with any type of thing or addiction or sometimes it's very, very fast. It just depends on, I think they're mental stability, what they're trying to do to address the problem, if they see it as a problem. But all in all, it's really, really common for necrophiles to move across the classes. And that's pretty scary because we've talked about that many, many times and we call it escalation. And I think necrophilia is a prime example of that escalation process. I agree. And there's so many people within the death fetish forums that talk about their desire to have sex with dead people or their desire to watch simulated snuff films. And they talk about how this passion or obsession that they have has to be managed. They talk about how they've grappled with it, how they've left the forums and the communities and then come back years later. So it seems like it's always there in the background and they're trying to manage it. And the way that some of the users in the forums speak of this, one of them even calls it his affliction, his strange affliction. Some of them call it an addiction, an obsession, my secret. So I feel like there's a negative connotation in most of those phrases. And I feel like there is some kind of understanding that this is a condition that you have to manage and that if you don't manage it properly, that dangerous things can happen, illegal things can happen. I think it's also why they keep it a secret from their loved ones for the most part. And they flock to these online gated communities. They don't want people to know because they know it's not generally accepted. They know that it creeps people out. They know that it's illegal. They know that people are going to be shocked by this. But instead of sending 
this SOS to their family members saying, I need help. You know, I'm drawn to this or I have this affliction or I feel like I'm mentally ill or whatever they want to call it. They are actually feeding that thought that necrophilia is okay when they're spending this time in these forums, watching these movies, reading these stories, looking at these photos, things that are telling them that necrophilia is okay, that it's normal. Hey, we enjoy it too. Instead of them trying to address it and get perhaps some mental health or other therapies that could maybe help give them some positive things in their life to help them move away from this affliction. I I don't know what else to call it. I mean, that sounds so dark and ominous, but I think that it's really what it is. Yeah, it's a problem. It divides people from their families and then they turn to these communities on the internet and they are creating many communities. The fetishers need some kind of support system, somebody who's going to hear about this and not turn away from them. And so they turn to these internet forums and lots of them are being born out there. And that's that's a big part of why we're here. We don't want to see more death fetish forums and communities, but there are people who are making them and it's disturbing. There is a woman named Carla Valentine. She was a mortuary technician who created an online dating and networking site called Dead Meat. That is so weird. And since we do cannibal episodes, I will clarify it's like meat, like M-E-E-T, like I'm going to meet you. So it's not a cannibal website. Dead Meat is no longer around, but Carla created this website. So here's what she had to say about creating the website Dead Meat. In 2014, I created the world's only dating and networking site for death professionals, Dead Meat. The site is now closed. Think of it like a LinkedIn for those who work with the dead, yet also an opportunity to possibly forge romantic links. I met my husband on a dating site, and five years later, we were married in a cemetery. Sometimes the system works. That that is so bizarre. (laughs) In an interview with Vice magazine, she's quoted as saying that she created dead meat as a way to make necrophilia accessible. So that's pretty disgusting. I just can't wrap my head around this. I mean, I have done some research into Carla. I don't understand her. Uh, I was glad that that site doesn't exist anymore. And I know that she works in a mortuary. She's like a technician. I believe you you might have mentioned that. And so a lot of her work is about that and about people who are in that industry. But I think to create like a dating and networking site is really, really strange. Definitely, she's a fetisher. Why else would you be so focused on death outside of just her career? She went as far as to build a site so people that basically love death and are around death for a living could network and potentially get together and date. I think that's strange. I don't know. I think that she's possibly a fetisher, but there's only one way to know for sure. And I think Carla should come on the show. Have you been able to track down a way to contact her? I sent her an email 
actually this morning asking her if she would consider talking to us on the record or off the record. So if she doesn't want to record an actual episode, you know, would you be willing to do a Zoom call with us so we can try to better understand her and maybe get her input on what death fetish is? Because I don't want to accuse her 100% of being a fetisher if she's not. It seems to me, it's my opinion that she very well could be, but I'd like to hear that from her. I'm fascinated by this woman. I mean, it's just very interesting what she's done. And one of the things that she's doing is she wants to help people not be so disgusted by the idea of necrophilia. She says this on her website. And so that makes me feel like it's quite possible that she is a fetisher because why would she want to sort of justify or make it okay for people to think that necrophilia isn't so bad? Yeah, that's the part that makes me wonder because I don't know if our listeners know that much about me in person or my physical appearance, but I definitely identify as a goth, especially in my younger days. I'm super fascinated by a lot of things that gross other people out traditionally. Like I like bugs. I like taxidermy. You know, I'm not frightened of darker topics, obviously. I've devoted my whole life to talking about death fetish forums. So I understand that there is sometimes a need to connect with people who aren't going to think that you're a crazy weirdo just because you have a fascination with this or that. But the way that she's speaking about necrophilia specifically makes me wonder where her stance is there. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with working with the dead, having a passion for it, and even wanting to meet somebody who understands that part of you and isn't creeped out by it or who can talk shop with you like you want to find other morgue techs who, you know, you might be able to relate to. But throwing in information about necrophilia is where I'm like, mm, that's where we might part ways there in, in our understanding. Well, and I'm, I'm also on her website right now. And if I may, I'm going to read her mission statement for the listeners. She says, professionally, I'm passionate about open, objective discussion, not hindered by culturally specific ideas of dignity around the display and use of medical collections and access to our dead. Academically, I explore the display of particularly contentious human remains with regard to, for example, crimes and the display of criminals or criminal artifacts. So that's kind of interesting. She says she's interested in research which identifies the positive effects of dealing with our own dead and death worldwide, and also how death is experienced and has become detrimental on our society. I think she would be a great guest because that to me is very fascinating. She says that she wants to improve relationships with human remains. She thinks that perhaps that could improve society. So that is incredibly interesting to me. You know, it looks like she's had a great career and is a public speaker. And so I think it might be great to bring her on because, you know, whether she agrees with us or disagrees with us, I think it would be interesting to hear her opinion just because she seems so well-educated and I'm really interested in her line of work and some of the other research that she is talking about that she's interested in. Yeah, I think she would be a wonderful guest for the show. I hope she's willing to speak with us and just if she's listening to this, like know that we're not going to be disrespectful whatever opinion you hold. We wouldn't be that way even with a fetisher if they were willing to come on. So 
Let's see if she answers my email. I'm excited to hear if she does. I hope she does. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I hope so too. So that's interesting. And I also found another study, just kind of moving past talking about Carla. I found another study that noted this, that necrophilia may progress from grade one to any further grade. So basically, it doesn't have to necessarily go all the way to the extreme. It could go from class one to class two, or it could go from class one all the way to the most extreme. So this study says it does, it can progress, especially if you're catering to your necrophilic urges and that you're possibly fanning the habit. And this came from the study. This is their quote that says, you know, fanning the habit. And so I thought that was interesting and I wanted to include it in this discussion because that's something that we have discussed from day one in our fight against the dangerous world of death fetish. We talk about how these sites. I mean, we don't use the word fanning the habit, but that's exactly what we're talking about. We talk about escalation. We talk about inciting this maybe predisposition in somebody or inciting something in someone where they think that it's okay to go on and actually kill somebody. And this study seems to back that up. I thought that was incredibly fascinating. I love that term, fanning the habit. It's like fanning the fire, and it is a fire that can go out of control. So fanning the habit is my new favorite phrase of the week. And since it hasn't been long since we were in London, I don't know why it reminds me, but it reminds me of when you're on the underground train and it says, mind the gap. It's like fanning the habit. Well, and speaking of the UK, I meant to mention this earlier. That is where Carla Valentine is from. Oh, so I was very disappointed. We didn't know that before because perhaps we could have invited her to CrimeCon UK or maybe we could have set up some sort of meeting. But hopefully we will be able to have some sort of discussion with her because I think that that could be very valuable in our work and just help us understand all sorts of aspects not just of necrophilia, but of her research and the things that she's doing. So anyway, I know that's a little bit of a soapbox, but it is something that I'm excited about. Yeah. And I I did find another little piece of info released in 2019. It's called Sexual Homicide by Wayne and Natasha Petherick. So in that, they include a statement that says, the homicidal necrophiliacs are considered the most dangerous as they kill victims because of the need to have sex with a dead body. And a number of serial killers, including Jeffrey Dahmer and Dennis Nilsson, did just that. There's also another article entitled What Drives a Necrophile that lets us know that most necrophiles are usually heterosexual males that fall between the ages of 20 and 50. So that's what I'm bringing to the table to this discussion. I do want to point out that that age range tracks. It does line up with about what we see in the death fetish forums. Well, I think what you're talking about here is so important because, you know, they mentioned that homicidal necrophiliacs are considered the most dangerous. They're killing their victims because of this need to have sex with a dead body. So before they actually escalate to actually killing somebody, what do you think that they are doing <laughs> until they can actually make that happen? I believe a great percentage, if not all of them, are spending time in these gated communities watching these movies that depict the murder of young women and sex with their dead bodies. It just makes sense to me. If you want to you know, fan that flame, so to speak, you know, 
fan the habit, you're going to seek out those opportunities. And I believe that they're hanging out in these gated communities online. I believe this because one, I'm secretly involved in a lot of these communities during our research. Alicia, so are you. We see it. We see what they're talking about. And we know that real killers are being bred within those forums. So I, I think that what you found here is really, really important. And I think it just bolsters our claim that we've had all along about these online forums. Yeah, it's hard to imagine a homicidal necrophiliac doing much else before they kill because I don't see a lot of things that could be influencing you out in the real world besides maybe a true detective magazine. You're going to have to find that content somewhere. And I do believe it's in the death fetish forums. I think a great percentage of it is in the death fetish forums. And I think that it's scary to think about. But I think this points to why our work on this podcast to investigate these forums, to expose these forums, and to put some teeth into the federal obscenity laws is so important because we know what it leads to. It leads to real murder. And you've got people who are bolstering that claim. And those are the people that we need to work with. We need to turn off the noise of these fetishers that are poking fun of us, that are trying to demean the work that we're doing. And we need to really deep dive, dig in, and connect with these people who are doing the research, like Wayne and Natasha Pethrick, who have this study, this book about sexual homicide, because that's where the truth lies. It does not lie with these people who are trying to hide their death fetish, their affliction, whatever you would like to call it. Just because they're in there and they haven't murdered anyone yet doesn't mean that they're not a risk. They're just a lower class rating right now and they can move up the scale. No problem at any point. At any time that they want to have that true necrophilia experience, they're going to move along that class, just like you said. So I think what we're doing is important. And I think that this evidence that we found leaves really little question that necrophilia and the glorification of necrophilia is extremely dangerous. It's absolutely disgusting. And I think it's very frightening that necrophilia is the central theme of just about every death fetish website and forum that exists. And this is me again on my soapbox. This always tends to happen when we have an episode like this that I get really riled up about it. But this just continues to push me in the direction that we have to put a stop to it. And we need help doing that. We need people to join with us to put a stop to these horrific things that are happening online. And all of you listeners can help us do that in a pretty simple way, too, just by visiting our website, which is deepdarksecretspodcast.com. You can go over there and there's an advocacy tab. So you just click on that and scroll down about halfway through that page. There is a link and you can click on that link to sign a petition that we've created to help change federal obscenity laws so that there are harsher requirements and sentencing. Every signature makes a big difference. Oh, I think every signature is just one more way of saying to legislators, we want to put a stop to this. And that only serves to help us, Alicia and I, in our efforts when we meet with legislators, when we go out and meet in the community. We're trying to make a difference to 
keep our community safe because that's what all this is about. That's what the podcast, our advocacy work, the petition, all of it. Ultimately, what we're saying is not one more girl. We don't want to see one more person murdered because of these online forums and communities. I mean, don't you think that's fair to say, Alicia? Yeah, thoughts turn into actions. And we're seeing that again and again and again as we cover these murder cases where the murderer was part of the death fetish community online. That's what drives us. And we're so thankful that you listened today. Please keep recommending our podcast to your friends and join us next Monday as we continue our discussion about the death fetish industry. Stay safe out there, everybody. And remember, keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.